Okay, I'm going to start this morning by apologizing because those of you who know me know that I enjoy doing that a lot. Um, <laughs> I, have, I have a cold this morning, so if you hear me up here sniffling and coughing and everything, just ignore me. I'll get past it. <laughs> so we're in week five of a, a fantastic series. We're doing a Lenten sermon series right now called The Great Reorientation. Lent is a special season of time where we spend about six weeks before Easter just preparing ourselves to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. During this time, we're on a journey to draw closer to him and to try to become more like him as well. We've spent the last four weeks looking at different stories in the Gospels that show us how Jesus lived and interacted with those around him when he was here on earth. Our goal is to see how Jesus navigated life and then to emulate that. When we receive new life through Jesus Christ, he invites us to do more than just believe in him and follow him. But he also invites us to live like him. The greatest desire that Jesus has for us after coming to him is that we would just continue to grow and become more like him throughout our time here on earth. So we kicked off this series talking about um, the story of Jesus in the wilderness. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, fasting, praying, drawing near to God. And during that time, he faced a series of temptations. And these temptations involved shortcuts that he could have taken. And our life is also full of all kinds of shortcuts that we can take as well. But what's important to remember here is that um, what we do is important, but how we get there is even more important. How things get done, it, they really matter. The work that goes into something can help us to really grow and can make us who we who are supposed to become in Christ. In week two, we looked at disruptions in life and how we respond to those. I think we've all figured out by now that things are not always going to go the way that we think that they're going to go, or even the way that we would like for them to go. And how we respond during these moments is absolutely crucial. It is important that we allow Jesus to navigate our lives and help us to walk through these situations. Oftentimes when something's going awry, our, our natural response is just to hide or to avoid or just try to get out of the situation altogether. But it's important that we let Jesus walk with us and take us through these things because it's here that we will find growth and healing. Then we looked at uh, the different lenses that we all view life through. We all have our very own set of lenses, our way that we view life, and our lenses can change as well depending on who we're with or where we're at. So the lens that you view life is going to be different when you're at home with your family than it is when you're at work with your coworkers or even just out and in, in around the town with your friends. And one of the beautiful things about life with Jesus is that he can change all of our lenses. He can change us. He can work inside of us and help us to begin to see things through the lenses that he sees things through. Then last week, we followed a similar theme when we talked about our points of view. We all have differing points of view as well. 
one of the more prevalent points of view um, during Jesus' time is still very much a point of view today as well. And that is that we are to avoid and look down on those who are lost, those who don't have their life altogether. But Jesus came so that we could change this point of view. He encourages not to avoid these people, but to seek them out and help them to find reconciliation with him. Jesus encourages to ask ourselves, where is God lacking influence in my world? And then he encourages us to take God to those places. All of these stories have helped us ask ourselves the questions, who is Jesus? Who am I? And then confess the difference. The question that we're going to reflect on today is, what is worth pursuing? What are our goals in life? What are we here after? What is our highest aim? Before we take a look at these, though, um, I want to read our scripture passage for today. I am going to be in the fourth gospel. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you or you don't have the Bible app on your phone and you would like to follow along today, there are Bibles um, under the seats in front of you. We're going to be in John chapter 12, and I'm going to read to you verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha, who happened to be a sister of Lazarus, was among those who served while Lazarus reclined at the table with Jesus. Then Mary, who was another one of Lazarus' sisters, took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and then wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who would later betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself into whatever was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will not always have the poor among you, or you will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. There's a lot going on here, but before we dive too deeply into it, I just want to take a moment and make sure that we understand what a strange scene this would have been to those who were present. It was customary back then when a guest visited the home that a servant would wash their feet before dinner. This was done with water, just water, no perfumes, no soaps, nothing like that. Now, um, please note that Mary was not a servant by any means. She was Lazarus' sister, so she was one of the homeowners. So it, it was very odd that she volunteered to do this. Also, when someone was anointed, they were anointed on their head. They weren't anointed on their feet. So pretty much the only thing that should have been done with feet 
was just washing them with water. So you can imagine the confusion of those around her when she did this. Now the perfume that Mary used, the scriptures tell us that it was nard. And not just any nard, but pure nard. So it would have been a higher quality and a much more expensive perfume as well. Nard was a thick, scented oil that came from the root of a flowering plant found in the Himalayas of Tibet. So this perfume actually came from somewhere in northern India or some part of Nepal. That's a traveling distance of over 3,000 miles. And this was not some FedEx or UPS delivery system either. These were 3,000 miles that somebody either walked or likely rode on camelback. So you can imagine the cost of shipping on that. Actually, the scriptures tell us that as well. It, tell us, it tells us that um, the nard cost 300 denarii, which was equivalent to a year's wages for the average worker of that time. If we were to look at that in today's terms, in 2018, the average American worker made about $50,000 in one year. $50,000. Just reflect on that for a minute. So here's Mary doing something uncustomary and raising everyone's eyebrows. It's not every day that somebody chooses to do a lowly servant's job, anoints someone in the wrong way, and then uses an entire year's wages in a way that seems, well, just plain wasteful. And now contrast that with Jesus' disciple, Judas Iscariot. He immediately objects to this strange scene. In verse 5, he says, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. If we really pause and think about that, if we think about it in terms of what we say it could possibly translate into today's money, $50,000? What could we do as a church with $50,000? What could we do here in Peoria or right here just in the North Valley if we had $50,000 to help those in need around us? That would be life-changing. Judah's suggestion seems incredibly noble. Yet we end this scene with Jesus siding with Mary and rebuking Judas. Why? Well, if we read a little bit further into verse 6, it does tell us why. It says, He, Judas, did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself into whatever was put into it. So Judas' suggestion seemed very honorable but his intentions were all wrong. Our intentions carry a significant amount of weight when we are helping others. If we're doing something good for others, but we're doing it for the wrong reasons or in the wrong way, then it's no longer an honorable deed. 
Jesus explains this in another one of the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, Jesus says, Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to your acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward that they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Now to be clear, God can and will use every good deed done on this earth for the benefit of someone. Doing something good for others is still doing something good for others. But if we're doing it for the wrong reasons or with the wrong intentions, then we're not bringing glory and honor to God through it. And it's of no benefit to us either. Even though Judas suggested doing something honorable in front of everyone else, he was really trying to do something self-serving. Now Mary, on the other hand, was not doing anything self-serving here. She humbled herself, and she took on a lowly position that no one else wanted. These people were sandals back then, and they traveled everywhere on foot, on dirt roads. Can you imagine how dirty and smelly their feet had to have been? This is why washing the feet of the guests was done before dinner, when everyone sits down together, and why the lowest of all the servants was stuck with this job. Yet Mary jumped up and volunteered to do this without being asked. And she sacrificed an extremely expensive bottle of perfume in the process. Such strong and expensive perfumes were usually just used for the burial of the dead. So you can imagine how confused those around her had to have been when she pulled this out and started anointing Jesus' feet with it. And you know, Mary might have been confused too. Yet something in her spirit told her to take that perfume and anoint Jesus in that way. And she did it. She was obedient, even though she didn't understand the reasoning behind it. Her intention was to bring glory and honor to Jesus through this extravagant act of sacrifice and love. Mary was pursuing Jesus. She wanted to give her all to him. Nothing else mattered to her. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament talks a little more about this in the book of Philippians in chapter 3. Now, Paul was a Jew, and not just any Jew. He was an important one. He had a higher status. We see him here writing a letter to the church at Philippi about that. So Paul 
begins by talking about how he had it all. Think about the American dream, but like times 10. I mean, this guy had it. He was born in the tribe of Benjamin, so we had a more honorable birth just to start with. He grew up closely following all of the laws of Moses. He was one of the good guys who always had it all together and who never messed up. And he was a Pharisee. So not only was he a religious leader, he was one of the top dogs of all the religious leaders. And Paul was one of the most zealous of all the Pharisees, even going so far as to seek out the followers of Jesus and persecute them because he felt like they were a threat to his religion. Yet when Paul met Jesus, he realized that he'd been chasing all these things for the wrong reasons. In verses 7 through 11, Paul concludes, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with, with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul concludes here that the most valuable thing we can do in life is to pursue Jesus. Everything else should be secondary to this. In our story today, we saw two different people, Mary and Judas, pursuing two completely different paths. On the surface, without any deeper knowledge of what was going on, it seemed that Mary was behaving oddly and misusing valuable resources. Judas, on the other hand, was looking for ways to help those in need. Without the added commentary from Jesus helping us to see their inner intentions, we would think that Mary was wasteful and that Judas was noble. Yet Jesus shows us that this is far from the truth. What mattered most to Mary was honoring Jesus. She wasn't worried about the cost or about what she would be giving up. She wasn't worried about the fact that she was acting outside of social norms or what others would think about her because of this. No, she was only focused on Jesus. She was focused on thanking him and on bringing glory and honor to God. 
Judas, on the other hand, was only actually looking out for himself. His intentions were self-serving. And as a result, his actions became self-serving as well. We need to keep these things in mind when when we're making our choices in life and pursuing our paths. And also, when we see those around us making their choices and pursuing their paths, we don't always know the full story of what's going on in someone else's life. And we don't know what their intentions are when they do something. But God does. And perhaps we're never meant to understand what someone else is going through or why they decide to do what they do. And that's okay, too. All that matters is what you do. All that matters is what I do. All that matters is what we do. All that matters is that we pursue Jesus with all of our heart. When we pursue something, we need to have Jesus on our minds. It is in this way that both our actions and our intentions will line up in such a way to bring glory and honor to God. And it will even bless us and provide us with a more full and meaningful life in the process.